You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. at Newport. In the room, I have Adam, Ben, John, and Rob. All right, Ellington at Newport. This jazz album by Duke Ellington and his band from their 1956 concert at the Newport Jazz Festival, a concert that revitalized Ellington's career after swing bands were going out of fashion. Released in July of 1956 on Columbia Records, it was produced by George Avakin, the genre is jazz. Jazz promoter Gary Wynn describes the 1956 concert as, quote, the greatest performance of Ellington's career. It stood for everything that jazz has been and could be. Uh, informed that the concert recording was flawed, C- Columbia ex- executives sent Ellington and the band into the New York studio to re-record the set oh. on the Monday after the gig. The resulting album is patched together a fusion of live recordings studio retakes and canned applause and it became the biggest selling record of duke's career the album was re-released and restored from a lost radio recording uh is called ellington at newport complete and was released in 1999. i gave everybody the 1956 album oh, yes. The, the one Ellington, Frankenstein today is the one that's hot, my, at, uh, at newport yeah. uh you will know because the original is, I believe it's six songs, mm-hmm. and the re-release is about 20 songs. Mm. So, what did we think of Ellington at Newport original? <clears throat> Fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. It's solid. And I wish, I wish that, because I read that in the book too, I wish that they had gone into detail about which parts of it had to be redone in the studio, because much like the that's domino part i couldn't hear the edits yeah a lot of the applause is is canned and what they have have done is they kind of they gave you the hits like there's standards Mm -hmm. a lot of standards within that concert and this album just really brought it it brings the heat you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's got the highlights of um ellington's performance so there's really um I won't say there's no reason to listen to the the full album, but I think this one can stand on its own, mm-hmm. uh, the 1956 version. So how much of this do you think is, because it's partially from that show, right? And then the parts that like they had like a malfunction or whatever, they had Correct. to re, uh, retrack? They did re-record the entire performance, though. <clears throat> That's crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> so if that... <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, Rob's passing notes. I know he is. <laughs> I'm gonna, or go ahead. I was just gonna say if if that applause is canned applause, mm-hmm. they were pleasantly generous with it, especially <laughs> certain, certain songs. Because I'd read that it was canned applause, and certain songs were like they'll finish this killer solo, and like the crowd will start clapping. And then, like the applause was like crescendo into like almost like a mania. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Treat yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you did nail that solo. great i mean i i really like this album i like the the original and the re-release um this is a little bit different than duke's the things i've i've listened to from duke ellington and i thought it was i thought it was great Mm -hmm. maybe the negative one uh i thought it was super tight just in general i just wasn't really feeling it and i think i think it's just the modern lens i was having trouble uh listening to it knowing the stuff that I preferred from before that and also uh, what was going to follow later with jazz. And also I think I just prefer like vocal jazz over that in a big way. You know, like I'd rather listen to Billie Holiday than that. And so it was, it was hard for me to get into, even though obviously like the, musician, the musicianship is top notch. Um, it's incredible to hear a, a, a big group like that play so seamlessly together but that being said when it came down to the songs the perform I, I think the performance i thought was great but the songs just didn't find that um engaging i, I just didn't find it being like as practical as like some of the s- stuff that you you might be able to like for example i think i prefer count basie yep. over ellington um and i think basie's coming up on this list probably soon um I, I don't know. That was my... Uh, yeah, that last track, uh, what was it? D- Dimiendo and Crescendo and Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fucking thing ripped the mm-hmm. entire time. Like, the, the preceding tracks were a little bit slower, but that one was just like... Mm-hmm. And it's 14 minutes 14. of just increasing intensity the yeah. whole time. That, uh, the thing that I read was, uh, I think, the sax player at the show, um, like... Ellen Taylor's like, yeah, I mean, blow as long as you want. <laughs> I believe it was what he said, and like 26 bars of solo yeah. to the point mm-hmm. where he collapsed at the end of it. Yeah. 
And uh, Ellie didn't picked up the uh, like mm-hmm. the, on the piano, and then like they just kept on going. But yeah, like he he soloed for so long, he fell down. <laughs> so I'll I'll agree that I'm not particularly fond of of this. I don't know what you want to call it. It's not not jazz in and of itself, I guess, but musicianship in which you know I like big band music sometimes, but I don't like music. I don't like fish. Like I don't like when That's you just what I was thinking go. On and on and on and on and on for the sake of being able to do so. Now, that being said, Diminuendo in Blue, you can't not listen to it and appreciate the the, the just the physicality of the shrillness of the tooting. Yeah, <laughs> so the tooting was so shrill. Uh, I have a very large dog, and um, he lives in the basement of my house. And I listen to my music usually above the floor that he stays on, just to you know give him some space. Uh-huh. And uh, when it got to Diminuendo in Blue. And the frenetic tooting uh, for the last, I don't know, he really got pretty intense in the last minute or two. Yep. Uh, he was losing his mind. He was very, <laughs> very unhappy. Wow. And, you know, maybe that added to my experience of the album, um, you know, just to appreciate what he was able to uh, accomplish in the ears of a, uh, of a dog. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, I don't like that style of music, but I appreciate what he was able to accomplish. The trumpet outro of that first song, when he, like, he finishes his solo, and then he's like, I can also play this note. Yeah. And I can also play this note. <laughs> yeah. I can almost play this note! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the do- reaching. Dogs didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, is that... So, so, all so dogs I are howling, say, right? <laughs> so what I'm kind of hearing is, shit hot, but does that really make a, a great album? Uh, you know... I love the you, album. You can do this... But maybe not a repeat listen. It's it's just that this was this was a, a record of something that happened. Sounds like they captured and we captured we kind of captured this magic the best of you know on on a recording and this this has a certain time and place. Like maybe not not a lasting album, but maybe it's uh, you know the best best thing that ever you know duke ever did i think if that's what you're into this is you know just the tops you know the idea i mean you have to stop and remember also that even unfortunately there's recording flaws but these guys you can you can tell they were you know they did just fine like they were those guys these guys are all players so i think what's cool about it is just to, to remind yourself that this is just a bunch of people in a room being really good at what they do um that it's impossible to f- not give them credit for, um, you know, doing the, the best version of that. I think right. it's just stylistically. It's right, and I think the problem was actually uh, one of the, I think it was one of the horn players was playing into the wrong mic, oh. and so it wasn't recording, and mm-hmm. th- that's why they wanted to uh, mm-hmm. re-record. Um, but then they found the uh, live the radio performance, which I guess, um, you know, fixed that, alleviated that. Personally, I love a killer live album. Uh, like a live album that can just capture lightning in a bottle, that gives you like the kind of the the feeling of what it would have been like to be in a theater and see a band like this. Those are some of my most frequently listened to records. And uh, this album, having done that so well, doesn't just make it like a like a interesting time capsule. I mean, it, I think that this would be a repeat player. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think it's just cool to put on, uh, maybe not, you know, sit and listen to with headphones, but just like 
have on while I'm doing something with mm-hmm. just some, you know, hot live jazz. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much we're being gaslit, though. I mean, we're being gaslit well, but, like, they redid this in the studio and chopped the the, the Yeah, but they, they but, did this. I mean, it's the same perform. Like, the guys are, the are doing right. this same... <laughs> They could they could somewhat repeat that performance. I think that to me kind of actually makes it more no, impressive. <laughs> knowing that, well, knowing that though is kind of I'm a little bummed out because you're you're catching you know like it's like oh they caught this amazing live performance and then all of a sudden you he- realize oh actually that was just in the studio. They did have a really good live performance, mm-hmm. you know the the Saturday before, but you know. They had to re-record. So uh, I, I did feel lied to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, also Rob was saying earlier, so uh, Duke tells his saxophone player, you know, play as long as you want, man. And the dude plays for 26 choruses, uh, collapses, it gets like an uproarious a- applause, uh, it goes down in history as being like one of the better solos of jazz history. Uh, and the poor guy gets a phone call the next morning. It's like, so you have to just come to the studio and just do it again, man. Sure you remember that, right? You, you remember that 12 minute solo you played? Just, just, just do it again. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. So should we, I got a little, uh, a few details on the solo. Uh, Paul uh, Gonsalves, uh, it, it's become a famous within, you know, jazz history, but he was actually called, nicknamed the Strolling Violins from Ellington for playing solos while walking through the crowd. Huh. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and read this. At the historic 1956 Newport Festival, Duke told his young uh, saxophone player, to blow as long as he wanted during the interlude, which Ellington later called the, the wailing interval or blow-by-blow. Blow. 
It has since become jazz folklore as uh, he almost created a riot as he played the tenor sax solo for 27 choruses <laughs> that aroused the normally seated crowd into a frenzy of dancing, standing on chairs, and rushing the stage. That's so cool. <laughs> a woman with platinum blonde hair and, and a black evening dress named uh, Elaine Anderson jumped from her box seat and started dancing. And she's often credited with the initial uh, crowd's enthusiasm and uproar as uh, Gonsalves continued his solo. Now, I don't care what anyone says, that's, that's rock and roll. That's, that's <laughs> that is rock and roll, yeah. She jumped out of the box seat. Yeah. That's awesome. So In an evening gown. <laughs> she was 97. Oh, oh. So, uh, knowing that, um, first, like, and then obviously, <laughs> I encourage everybody to listen to the 1990 nine album um it is a bit long and there it's it's i mean it's like the complete evening so uh you don't get this kind of concise uh picture of uh, them at their at their best but everything is solid and it's the killer plus filler it, it absolutely <laughs> it has the standards i think i think the the most it, it just has you know take the a train it has all those it even has a star spangled banner at the beginning you know I, yeah, just, I heard that. it's got it's got everything uh, has all their introductions so it's telling uh, talking about the players who's playing on which uh, track and everything what do we think is it a classic though again Sounds I, like we're we're somewhat divided you know i i'm I started thinking about what you said the last episode, Ben, where it's like, you know, these are 1,001 records. They don't have to be classics. <laughs> also, it's 1,001 records that you should listen to, not something that you necessarily should listen to over and over again. Right, so, yeah, I would right, absolutely right. say you should listen to this. It's, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's great. And that, that yeah. sounds. I agree with that. Definitely something to, to give yourself the experience of. Mm -hmm. I yeah. Think, I think it's, you know, it, even just because I'm not as big a fan of it doesn't mean that I shouldn't listen to it or that um, if, you know, if this is a genre that you like, this is a must listen record. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's, that's, I think that's what it really comes down to. Yeah. I mean, like I can cut a, you know, if it was my list, whatever, like this, I, I would consider putting this in for the historic significance and just cut one more rock and roll record, you know, yeah. or whatever. I mean, it's, it's good to represent, uh, these various genres. Yeah, to me, it it kind of signifies a more mature Duke Ellington, mm -hmm. a more mature uh, swing band, and almost stretching into what would later become bebop, free jazz, you know, um, those things. So I, I, I think it's definitely a requirement for if you're a fan of jazz but maybe it's not to everyone's taste um and it might not be a repeat listen for me um i might put it on every once in a while but yeah just repeat man what's that if it's more than once yeah. <laughs> <laughs> repeat. Yeah. Yeah. every once in a while is repeat <laughs> next time we will be covering frank sinatra's album songs for swinging lovers <laughs> thanks for listening Bye.